Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station Access Manchester The Access Manchester Long Player An iconic album in full With Jim Salverson Access Manchester You're right, I am Jim Salverson But I guess the voice just told you that And this is the Access Long Player well, I guess the voice just told you that as well. Anyway, this is a deep dive into a classic album, an interview with one of the people who made that classic album. And today it is the 2007 debut, number one, Mercury Music Prize nominated album from The View, Hats Off to the Buskers. And I'm talking to frontman Carl Faulkner. I'd forgotten exactly how big this album was when it was released. And I'd forgotten exactly how good it was as well. If you haven't listened to this album in a while, go back and listen to it, particularly as Carl talks about some very specific moments and specific tracks off the album. He also talks about what it was like working with Oasis producer Owen Morris, or as he calls him, Crazy Owen Morris, which resulted in some brilliant stories, but may not have helped The View's reputation as party animals. Anyway, I will let Kyle tell the story of that and the rest of the album as we go deep on The View. Hats off to the buskers. How you doing, mate? You're okay? I'm great, man. How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm very good. First off, thank you for taking some time to talk to me about your debut album because I was looking back at some of the interviews you did around the time of the 10th anniversary of this album, so that would have been 2017, and I sensed that sometimes those interviews were done maybe a little reluctantly. Is that the case? And if so, why? Is it just the case that with you, as is the situation with many musicians, is you kind of like looking forward at what's next rather than looking back at what you've done previously? I don't I don't know, but I think when, at that point in the band, but that was just before we kind of took a break. Mm. But I always remember just going, at that time, we're like, oh, press, like, head and press. And <laughs> I think also they're, they're always talking about we're, we're same jeans and everyone because oh, there's the jeans guy, you know, it's like, I have more songs. But it's like, the, you kind of, unless it's, Someone that's a proper fan, like that's the what they know me for, and it's kind of took me a few years to, to to understand it that that's the game. So now I'm like, give me a my labels or whoever. I'm like, give me as much press as you can. I won't complain about mm-hmm. it. But back then, it was always like between the band, it was like, why am I doing all the press? And it was like, because I done this bit of press and I done that. So now it's just like kind of growing up a bit. Even then, 2007 was uh, 2017. It was quite a So even then, that I think I'm we're always hungover, man. You know what I mean? We're just like, oh god, can't be bothered with this. <laughs> But there is that kind of snarkiness in you as well, where you're like, you kind of think just, I've been asked these questions a million times, yeah, yeah. could you not come up with something new? You know what I mean? Like, but that that's kind of what you like when you're younger, and that's part of being in a band, I suppose. Part of growing up is thinking you shouldn't be 
you just treat every, every interview the same and just be on your best behaviour at all times. But back then it was like, you know how to be act the way you wanted and you got away with it. I'll do my best to try and ask you something at least once that you've not been asked before on today's little chat then. I mean, we will talk <laughs> a little bit more broadly about the album in a bit, but you've mentioned Same Jeans and it is on this album and I feel like we should bring it up at some point, so let's get it out of the way now. How do you feel about that song? Because as you say, it is the tune off this album, off your debut, that you've become known for as a band and quite often people who don't know the band and know the body of work and don't appreciate this album for what it is focus on that song and it almost becomes a bit of a meme for want of a better word so what's your relationship like with that record now i was a weird one because when we'd had we're released and we'd released wasteful dj's superstar treatment and which worked for big big hits at the time i think they only i'm thinking the top 10 or i can't even remember but there's then people were buying singles we thought, oh, this is quite a good level. This is great. We're getting interviews and stuff. And when we released that song, everyone knew who we were. It put me in the stratosphere all over the world. It was like America. Like, we're like number one in college radio, which is a massive thing over in America. And we're like, really, about every place. And then we were kind of known for that song, which was great at the time. But I think everyone started asking for that song. And I think every band goes through it where everyone's like, same Jesus. And it's like, you start getting a wee bit annoyed. And even though you're, you're grateful for it, but then I think for like about four years we stopped playing that song, and then I think just just to sort of say like we don't need to play that, but it's just been immature, you know what I mean? If you've got a hit, you've got to play it. Yeah, sure. But at the time, at the time, I mean, your kids were like, nah, no, let's not play that. But I mean, I love that song. I mean, I mean, we came back when it was when when we were kids, and Kian actually came in with the first the first the first line after the same. He talked about us now, but I remember thinking that is genius, and then we started. When we came into the band with the song, we got this finished song. It was like we knew something was great because we used to like. I've had a new song. We used to open with open with it, and we're set. We used to play in Dundee like these small pubs, and then they'd go, we'd finish it again. And by the time we'd ended the set, we'd we'd do a song. We go, it's a hit, it's a hit. So mm. like, but it's class. It's still great. I mean, it's to, it's totally different from the way, the way we used to play. And now it's we've got a different relationship now. I mean, it feels great watching everyone singing it. You know what I mean? But back then, just just I mean, you've got to remember we were on tour with like Primal Screams and. Libertines and all these and you kind of had to act a wee bit cool like oh we've got a big hit and we've had a bigger hit than any of them had you know what I mean and it yeah. was like we were like oh. we were like oh we don't even want a hit you know what I mean <laughs> we like, I was like I was like come on I mean this is like getting us everywhere but at the time I remember speaking to Bobby Gillespie and we showed him the song showed him a couple of b-sides and he was like oh, I think you should go for the b-side as a single don't release that it's all corporate nonsense and all that and I was like nah I would need to release this as a single and I think Kieran the one time was like yeah, let's not release this as a single. I was like, Gaff, we need to release this as a single. <laughs> then I listen to Bobby T. Then I listen to Bobby G, man. But thank God we did, yeah. I love that tune. Testament to the song that it still gets played on the radio right the way around the world today. Going back to the album as a whole, I mean, looking back at 2007 and the album coming out, just refreshing my memory of everything that was going on around that time, I'd forgotten the level of hype that was around the view as a band even before the album came out there was loads of radio play for the singles the nme were all over you pre-release links of the album got kind of leaked online and that created a little more buzz as well did you feel as a band that all that attention was adding pressure onto you or did you just like take it in a youthful stride at that point um yeah it was it was totally like we were, we were, we were that busy like touring and like getting on planes and and even with well, Doddy had success, like even getting signed to a label, it was huge for us, you know what I mean? Like, and just playing outside of Dundee was amazing. So yeah. I think once we, or when it was all happening, I don't like purely James Endicott, who signed when 
Owen Morris for producer, and I was like, do you realise like what's, what's going on? And we were like, yeah, it's quick kicking off. But he was like, no, you don't understand. And I think like that week when we sold, it was like 140,000 copies in the, in the, in the first, first day or something. It was unheard of, no, for the time. It was like, everyone was just going crazy. But even then, numbers to us didn't mean anything. They were like, oh, you're on the A-list. And you go, oh, that's nice. But you didn't, nobody really explained to us. I mean, I think that even now, I'm just starting to understand what publishing means. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm starting to like, care about my tax and I, like, I've got a wee bit older and I'm like oh I need to start getting my head out of the sand but back then we didn't no being arrogant but it's never knew what was going on so I suppose we were kind of we were, we were, we were kind of shadowed away from that when it's your debut album and you're getting all that success do you just assume that's the way it is you don't really appreciate that there's anything different that could happen because it's happening to you and it's the first time it's happened so that's life yeah basically because I, I think it was different because after because we were on a, a major label now for them first three albums and no, like just go, I would just go up to the the offices and just hang about and just like sort of drink beers in the office. And I think if you had to do that now, like they'd be like, "What are you doing?" I think it was obviously because we were successful and they were like letting me just. And I was going out with one of the girls in the office, and and I was just like kind of going kicking him back and just like wandering about. And I think if you had to go and do that, I'd be like, "Who do you think you are?" You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but I think then we just kind of got away. One we had like a nanny that would just if we got in trouble, she'd just go and call the police. And be like, oh, it's okay. I'm picking. I'm 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 there. Mate, what does mind a nanny woman? And I'd like. Just drive. No, I just like drivers. I never knew I got on a tube when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Now mm. I'm like, you know, tube boy. <laughs> well, I want to go back in the day where I had a lift every place and I had my own driver. <laughs> it's like I never appreciated being on a major label like at, at that time. Even major labels now won't fork out what they were forking <laughs> out back then because it's like the re- record sales are not in it. So mm. that's different. You know what I mean? To sell that many records, you could do whatever you want. I mean, an illustration of how meteoric it was for you. I read that. Until you went on this 58-date tour around the release of the album, before that point, you'd never played outside Glasgow. Is that true? Yeah, but, but the furthest we'd been was, was Glasgow, yeah. I'd been to England, but I never played. But wow. um, yeah, it was crazy, man. We'd just start discovering. But then it was like every five months after that, we were like playing the same venues. And it was like, no, just go around the circle. So you used to call it the toilet tour. Every album, you had to, you had to go and do the toilet tour first to create a buzz. <laughs> and then we'd get onto the bigger venues, but it was always like, it's an old haunt. There's some some venues like yeah. just no no showers and just sleep on the toilet floor from just like a couple of rolls of toilet roll to pad your pad your <laughs> face from the night before, man. man. Did you have any trepidations about how the album would translate outside of Scotland? Because obviously you grew up in Dundee, and when I listen to the album, it sounds like an album that was based on the people, places, experience of you and the band growing up. So was there any kind of doubt as to how that would translate at any point? I don't know because I, I think it kind of helped because even now when I hear, I mean, my daughter comes up to me and goes like, I've had the same gene on for 14 now and does this mad <laughs> accent. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to sing like that. And then my missus is like, you do, you're Scottish. But I didn't think I was singing Scottish. But I think that was part of the thing where people people liked it because they were like, oh, that's that Scottish guy. But it's so weird because that's me trying to not sing Scottish. You know what I mean? I'm trying to kind of Americanize it or something a wee bit. But that was just the way it came out. I thought that was more of a thing. I think if we were just if we were singing them songs and we'd be from from England and we'd not talked about where we're from it probably wouldn't have there's a place we're from in Drybra and, and Dundee but it's not like we're no but we've never really talked about like oh we're from Drybra the label kind of kind of made that a big thing like oh the boys from Drybra the four lads like just playing football one minute next minute they're number one they made it a big thing and then so people were coming there and like all these like these posh people from all over the, like there's Japanese people and everything coming up like just to get a picture next to this place but I was like that's no like that's no other thing we didn't used to hang about there because the label cleverly 
like molded it like that so people thought oh, i want to be a scally as well you know i want to, <laughs> I want to just not wash my jeans for 10 days i was like we did have a washing machine you know what i mean Right, like everyone's like four days. That's nothing. I go for six. Just <laughs> a song. Just a song. You mentioned Owen Morris a moment ago. He was brought in to produce the album. At that point, he'd worked with Oasis and The Verve, so a big name producer to be brought in. Was that someone the label thought would fit, or was that someone that you guys as a band really wanted to work with at the time? We knew him. We knew of him. We'd met him at a, a night. We were in a for playing with the Horrors for night in a bowling alley. And he came up and they were like, oh my God, have you met Crazy Owen Morris yet? And he came up and he was just, he was just the most outlandish man you've ever met. And then I was like, oh, the, the, the guy's done definitely maybe. And I mean, he just, he mixed definitely maybe. He never actually recorded it. So that was, mm. I was like, hmm, but now he done what's the story of being known. And I was like, we were in awe of him. So I think the label were kind of like, oh, this is going to fit perfect. And it was, it was carnage. But I think at that time we were so rehearsed up and we'd be playing, we'd be playing pretty much every day at that time. We were just a, we were a unit as a band. So we basically just went and recorded it live and then just overdubbed a couple of vocals. There was no harmonies on that first record. It was quite, mm. pretty, pretty easy. So it was basically our introduction to proper, like, staying up for... I mean, we, we did used to obviously party before that, but that was... Once we got to Owen Morris territory, it was like... Because obviously we knew it was, he was partying, he was doing this with Oasis, so we wanted to, like, make sure that we were just as, as party animals as the hips. So then it was, like, become, like, a thing after that. But, I mean, you got the, you got the sound of it. Mm. And then... The, the second album, the label were kind of like, oh, just do what you want on this one. Basically, just have as much time in the studio as you want. So I think like, we never started recording until like, a month down the line in the studio. We're just sitting about, just kind of just being, being nuggets and writing songs, but very slowly and just spending all the time in the pub because the label like, couldn't really say anything. She had a number one album. So then I think it was like the most expensive record that year. Wow. Uh, in the whole, the, whole, the whole of Europe, I'm sure. But we are sitting there going, oh, it's to be like, it's the creative process. And it's like, it's, it's not creative process. It's just like being an absolute fud. <laughs> I was going to say, because like, Owen Morris has a bit of a reputation for being a big character. You guys uh, built a reputation around that time for enjoying a bit of the hedonistic side of rock and roll. So did that result in just chaos in the studios? And actually, did that kind of help the recording process? Because it was, it, it's a record with a vibe. And I guess part of creating that vibe or recreating that vibe in the recorded format has to be the atmosphere within the studio when you're making it well i feel like the, the first two albums with owen they were the ones where it was i was hearing this thing and i was like but we'd been we were already rehearsed up so we were, we were able to get like smashed and just stay up all night because we're just going and do rehearsal but they were the only two records that were kind of like that the other ones that were done were with youth and were quite sober and i mean there was obviously there was stuff going on but the one we'd done with Albert was quite crazy, but the, the first two on were just were just mad. It was just crazy time. I've got really fun memories of all that, what I can remember, but it was um it was just great time these studios where Oasis had recorded and everything. We were just like we, we just felt the spirit of the place and it was just it was just amazing. Every it was always like trying to get to a certain place in this big barn where you could record like vocals from like clink, making holes in the roof so we can get the get the light in at certain points and it was he's like, What the f you're recording the light? What do you mean? He's like Brand. <laughs> it was that kind of vibe, so yeah, we were recording like cow noises and stuff at one point, and there was just stuff that happened on that thing. It was like just mind blowing. It was just funny, I think, because if I was able to go back in time, I pro everyone goes, oh, "I wouldn't change a thing," but I probably would. I would go back and just get the job done and save myself a couple of million, couple of million quid. <laughs> it did cause you some problems, though, didn't it? In terms of, I mean, it sounds like the atmosphere was great and you enjoyed recording the record, but I believe you got kicked out of the first studio you recorded in and had to kind of move the rest of the production to somewhere else yeah we got, well, on the first album yeah we got kicked out for because we, we, we took the land over for the spin man at night 
uh, one night on the valley and we were seeing who could like do the biggest slides on it and it rolled I think there was like 10 rolls in this big Land Rover so we had to buy the Land Rover and then the, the, all the people that owned the place came with stuff and were like <laughs> we need to leave we need to leave the property so we're, the light got up and was like who's, who's stole, who stole the I think somebody stole the headrest off the taxi driver and I was like well, surely you must have noticed it wasn't us but you can, we were kind of getting the blame for everything in that town at that time mm. so it was like, like a real like was, they were like just leave so we left but we got him finished. Yeah, it was good, man. I mean, we're only kids, man. We're only yeah. 18, 19 or something. So it was, you know, I'm not saying kids go and do that, but that's what kids do. Yeah, completely. It wasn't just studios you burnt through at that time as a band. You kind of got through a fair few managers as well. Looking back at that period, do you feel that the changing of managers, the not having maybe a senior figure to look up to, someone to guide you through the early stages, do you feel that was detrimental to you as a band? Yeah, probably. Um, thing is, we probably wouldn't have listened to, to any of the. We had one manager that we really liked, and then he kind of uh, he, he he kind of had enough of it, just enough of the nonsense. And that was when we were up for Mercury's, and everything was going great, and we're getting our biggest record deals. And he's keeping me in check, and he's still to this day, he's, he helped me run the studio over in Spain. Okay. And he's, he's I'm, I'm glad I'm back with him because he keeps me in check. And so it's good to have a sort of semi father figure back in my life. But then he was like, I'm handing it over to these other guys. And they had like, they were doing like the Coral and the Zootons and loads of people. And we were, we were like, ah, oh, you've got too many acts and all this. And we were like, we felt a bit underappreciated, like, because there was too many, we were like a small fish in a big pond, mm. whatever. And then once he left, it kind of went downhill. And then we just got like a new manager every six months. And it was just like, and, and everything just, well, it was going on. The thing is, we were constantly touring. There was never like a moment when we weren't touring. So, New managers that said, oh, that's what they're good at. So just put them back on the road. And we were like, it's no good for your health, too. Mm. I mean, obviously, none of them had kids at the time. Well, more of them did. But, I mean, there was there was so much more that we could have been doing rather than just touring the same songs over and over like, and playing the same venues. I mean, I think not having management where, because you change them all the time, I think, like, then they've not got a long game plan. So because they've seen a bit of success, then I would always advise to try and find, your, find a good manager and make sure you've got a long game rather than just just fill in their bits for the minute because managers just want their 20% of what's yeah. happening at that moment in time. So they, they obviously they're going to say go on tour. Ah, yeah, it's all good, man. It's all good. I want to talk about a couple of tracks off the album, if that's cool. Specific ones. I'm going, yeah, to, pick, I'm going to pick a couple to talk about and then I'd like you to pick a couple as well, if that's all right. It can be highlights, lowlights, memories from the recording process, whatever you like. But first off, I want to talk about Superstar Tradesman because <laughs> I found the enemy review of this and... The Enemy Review compared it to the song Undertone's Teenage Kicks, which I think is a pretty serious comparison to make. Was it hard not to get carried away when you've got the music press comparing you and your work to songs and bands like that? Well, we knew, we knew, that, had, we knew that had an effect on people because, I mean, we were all, we were all tradesmen mm. at the time, so, but we were, it was, a, it was a bricklayer. Pete was a joiner, Kieran was a sibling, and Mo was a butcher. So when we were singing that song, and when it was written, it was like, come for the heart. When we, when we were singing that, I actually felt like people we were saying it with conviction, and I think that really connected with people. So I think the enemy saw that. I mean, they were, there was always enemy kicking about when we were playing these shows, and you saw people, I mean, everyone you meet, like all pe- other people in bands can connect to it, because the first thing your parents tell you to do is, like, get a trade, that's a guaranteed thing. Mm. You'll be safe. And, no, and when you've got the rock and roll in your eyes, you, the last thing you want to do is get a trade, so... I think especially bands and people like from the enemy and that totally connected with that because the, the everyone everyone feels it, you know what I mean? And it's still it's still one of our most deep, deep from uh, rooted songs. It's like people go crazy for it, man, and it feels good and it's delivering a big crazy vocal. It's great man. 
It's kind of got this follow your dreams, inspirational thread running through it. Was that a reflection of the time, do you think? Because, I mean, you look at music now and a lot of music now is kind of looking at feelings of isolation, feelings of loneliness. It's a direct result of the pandemic. That's kind of what people have been experiencing over the last three years. So that's what's coming through in music now. Rewind to when this album's made and the kind of world had a bit more of a you can do what you like, you can follow your dreams attitude to it. Was that what you were tapping into? Yeah, well, I think, well, after leaving school, and I, I remember specifically what happened was um, when it was written, it was a, we used to rehearse underneath the bay, this pub called the Bayview where we got the name, came up, and a guy sort of pat this guy in a vest, patted you, and he went, oh, you're going to be a superstar, are you, son? And I was like, just was like absolute idiot, you know what I mean? Like, and then it was like, it was written, and then we started playing it with, with conviction and passion, and it was like, I think like, you you need stuff to kind of spur it on, you know what I mean? But like, just I was going, yeah, I can do this, you know what I mean? It's like, just because you've got a, you've probably got a good trade in that, but it was like, that's, that's not what I want to do. Mm. So I think there is a lot of doubt in the world, you know what I mean? A lot of people are like, just play it safe, because it is, it's easy to play it safe and you'll probably have a decent life. But I mean, it just depends on what you want, you know what I mean? But I, we definitely did not want any of that. I was looking back at the Enemy Review, like I said, for this album, and in total, they compared you to 13 other bands in the space of the review the bands were there's a big list of influences here libertines buzzcocks the lars stooges datsons iggy pop larrikin love the holloways undertones as i mentioned before baby shambles kings of leon horrors and Chaz and dave as well so 13 bands you were compared to in the course of that interview which i love Plus. Yeah, they're all pretty, pretty good bands, man. Yeah, they're all good. Well, most of them. Uh, I want to talk about another track. Yes. I want to talk about Face for the Radio, which I think's one of my favourite tracks off this album because yeah. the whole album's really frenetic and upbeat and fast. You get through 14 tracks in around 40 minutes and then there's this lovely little stripped-back tune which is almost a love song if it wasn't for the lyrical content. Did you feel like the album needed like a change of pace, a gear change in the middle and to reflect a different side of the band? Well, I had recorded that song and um and the teapot shooters when we done an EP and we tried to re record it with Owen Morris, but he was trying to like, put like bass on it and all this stuff and, and then eventually like James Endicott, who was doing running the label at the time, was like, he was like, why don't we just use the, the original recording? And I was like, well, it sounds different. But I think once we put it on, it really helped. I always thought, like, if we had released that song sooner as well, it would have been sort of more of a radio song. It would have been more on the radio. But I think the kind of the side had burnt out. I think it was for sixth or seventh single off the album. Bees were releasing it. But yeah, that was that. That came from just me sitting at the stairs one day. We used to hang about this place called the Driver's Stairs, which is these stairs that we talk about. And my pal was like, oh, he, he, says, shut, he says to my brother, shutting you, you've got a face for the radio. And like, I was in the middle of sort of writing a song about him anyway, because he's arrogant. And like, he's my mate, but he just like comes away with some crazy ass comment. And so I ran back and I was like, when I was kind of thinking like sort of Paul Heaton kind of, a bit funny, but serious. Yeah. And then um, I ran back and I, I wrote it in five minutes because I already had all the lines that I wanted to say about him. And I came back and I played it to him and he was like, you better not release that. You better not play that about me. He says, cause, <laughs> well, you better not tell people it's about me because it was all these lines in it. Like, they're all true. So. <laughs> but yeah, I love that. And it's still, that's still one of the songs that, that really deflects. When we, when we play live, every single person knows that song. And it's just a, it's always a pure heart warmer. Great. Okay, go on. You'll go. Pick me a favourite song or a favourite moment off this album that kind of takes you right back to 2007. There's a, we went, there was a, there was a, there's a song called Wasteland on it, and it's kind of it's got a song typical time at the end, which is which I always wanted to 
which has become like a recurring thing, like the typical time one, two, and then I had a three someplace, I'm sure. But we were at a party one night, and there was this big guy that worked at the, the university in Dundee, and he was like, you guys will never go anywhere and all this. And he said, just like a bunch of scumbags on the wasteland. <laughs> and I said, okay. So this is the wasteland. Okay, I'm going to turn that, that around. And I sort of went back and wrote the song, and he was called Rick. So it was like, there was this guy, and I remember saying, he put a bet on, he says, I'll, I says, I'll pay you five grand if he's, got, if he's even charged the album. And I think he paid my manager. I had to pay my manager five banks. My manager was there. He, was, he knew he had money. So he went back and got a cash. But I remember writing that song, like, thinking, well, I'm from the wasteland, but, it's, but you know what I mean? We celebrate And it's worked it. Being from there, it wasn't like a, a derogatory thing. It wasn't a bad thing. People mm-hmm. actually thought it was cool to come from where we were. And it was, I felt I felt quite proud of being from there. Like, and at, at the time, you know, it was, well, I still am, but I mean, at the time, I, I really felt like you, you kind of say this about us. And it was just like, no, he's just scumbags. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And, and then to start playing that around the world, and it's, every time I do it, I'm just imagining just sitting at them stairs, just going, ding, 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 just for all my wee pals. And it's pretty cool to see that going around the world. Yeah. Proper two fingers up as well, I guess. That moment kind of going, yeah, totally. look what we've become. Awesome. Carl, thank you for talking to me about Hats Off to the Buskers. It's a brilliant album, and about album that, until very recently, kind of for a long time, was the most recent Scottish debut number one album. It was robbed of that title by the snuts and their debut album last year i think it was i'm sure you're not bothered yeah. that you lost that title at all it just happens at some point doesn't it but well, we never lost it because we're still the first oh was you're about there was it the first ever scottish debut number one album yeah first, first ever scottish debut yeah i did not know that that's incredible i mean being the most recent and the first i mean it's testament to exactly how big that album was and how brightly you Sean or burn yeah. as a band at the time it's good to hear it kind of still feels like it's in or you've re- recovered your love for it which is really nice to hear as well what's next for the viewers i know you're back touring recently as well you've had some solo projects as well solo project last solo album yeah. came out 2021 so is there a chance that the view will make new music again yeah, we're, we're just we're just finished an album. It's coming out on the 18th of August. It's called Exorcism of Youth. Well, we look forward to hearing that. But Kyle, thanks so much for your time on the Excess Long Player. Cheers, man. Spawn. The Excess Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. Awesome, that. Love chatting to Carl about The View's debut album, Hats Off to the Buskers. And like I said in the intro to the show, it's an amazing album. It's a brilliant album. I've not listened to it all the way through in probably 15 years. So it was great to relive some of those moments and some of those tracks. If you enjoyed this, make sure you are subscribed or following this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review, let me know what you make of it. Or even if there's any albums you'd like me to talk about or any people you'd like me to interview, then leave your comments as a review and I'll see what I can do. I'll see if I can do it for a future episode. Plus, if this is your first time visiting the Excess Long Play, your first time listening, check back in the timeline and see if I've already covered some of your favourite albums. See you next time. Access Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Access Manchester.